Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob here, getting you ready for our Tough as Nails episode four recap. We're going to have, this is uh, sort of a two-part episode. Uh, Mike, Jess, and myself are going to be uh, recapping part one of the episode, and then about 50 minutes in, Phil Kogan is going to join us to uh, tell us his thoughts on episode number four of Tough as Nails. Let me tell you about today's sponsor. Those are friends over at Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. AG. Sports are slowly making their way back with the UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. And Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches uh, after this podcast. This is important. Make sure to stay tuned as sports analyst and host of Good Sports, Dave Damashek, is going to discuss the return of sports with Bet Online's Dave Mason. And if you need more, Bet Online has a simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online also has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet Online, your online way experts visit our good friends and exclusive partner podcast one bet online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business sign up for a free account and make sure you use that promo code podcast one for your sign up bonus visit betonline.ag don't forget that promo code podcast one for your sign up bonus bet online your online sports book experts don't miss dave damashek talking about the return of sports after the episode Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sestrino back here with another recap of Tough as Nails. That's right. Yes, okay. All right, here with our Tough as Nails crew. Of course, uh, please welcome Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? I'm fantastic, Rob. This is really a truly iconic episode. I'm very excited to be talking with you about it. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll see if uh, you can uh, pull up a hay bale or uh, put up uh, some barbed wire around your podcast area later on. I got and allergies. Hay bales are not good for me. Yeah. Oh, I would not do great at this. No. All right. And a man who always has his irrigation hooked up correctly, Mr. Mike Bloom. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, listeners, uh, you're in for a treat uh, in this uh, special episode because uh, later on in this episode, we're going to uh, check in with Phil Kogan, who it looks like, Jess, uh, who would have thunk it? Uh, we're going to be uh, probably hearing from Phil weekly after his last visit. Someone needs to get a time machine for many reasons, but after you use the time machine for all the things that we need the time machine for, if yeah. you got any juice left in the time machine, go back to 2012 when I almost didn't apply to be on RAGP and tell my 2012 self that someday we're doing a weekly podcast with Phil freaking Kogan. Yeah. Well, I guess, okay, in fairness, you guys are talking to Phil later on, <laughs> and I have to be on the road traveling with my family. Yeah, but I'll go, I'll get to talk to him a lot in the future. So yeah, I'm excited so, about uh, that. We're recording this episode in uh, two parts. We wanted to uh, uh, catch up with Jess and talk about the episode right after it airs, and then on Thursday morning uh, we'll check in with Phil. But normally we'll record the whole shebang on Thursday morning and uh, hear from Phil to start the show on 
Thursdays. Of course, you can subscribe to our brand new Tough as Nails podcast feed. Go to robiswebsite.com slash tough as nails. And we would also appreciate if you could hammer in those five stars to our uh, ratings and uh, help a new podcast get discovered. Plant a yeah. little post in the iTunes yeah, world. Get off the fence and post those reviews. <laughs> Rate harder, not smarter. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we appreciate that. Uh, Rob has a website.com slash tough as nails. And uh, we will uh, put together a list of all of our questions uh, for Phil that we need to ask. But I guess our top story at this hour, Mike, Roofer Lee, what happened? I thought he had winner edit. I mean, he's still Mike, considering he might get $10,000 at the end of this. The idea of a winner edit might be out the barn door at this point. But yeah, I mean, this was really... We've only had three uh, overtime so far, and two of them have, have involved Young. But this has to be by far the toughest one, pun unintended, yeah. of them. You know, as soon as Lee and Michelle paired up, I was like, oh my god, OTP. These are our two favorites. <laughs> yes. I love it. And then, of course, the twenty, the fate that 2020 provides us is, of course, they lose. And, of course, they have to face off against each other. Just I could have lived with anybody else losing this challenge to say, wait, wait we have to lose Lee or Michelle? Well, this is maybe I'm going to call this the biggest fake out of 2020 because I was 100 percent convinced like they pair Lee and Michelle. And I'm like, oh, good. I got to root for this team because it's Phil's all time favorite reality contestant. and who is rapidly becoming my all-time favorite reality contestant in Michelle. And like, we've got to have these guys win the whole thing and show everybody that the old people could do it. And then the old people can't do it. And I'm looking at this and I'm seeing, okay, Phil can't go five minutes without bringing up Rufer Lee. Like he Mm. really loves this guy and has said he's going to make the entire series. Mm -hmm. And then there's Michelle who, if she was on any other reality show, we'd be saying, Oh yeah, she's toast. She's mm-hmm. got the she's got the real like uh Jillian Larson upside there. And I I'm thinking, oh God, Michelle is toast. There's no way she could beat Rufer Lee, who's got hands the size of bananas in the physical challenge. And I'm sitting there thinking, Oh, yeah, it's toast, it's curtains for Michelle. She's done, she's done, she's done. And then she beats him. And by uh, by seconds, milliseconds even. That could be editing. I don't know. I'm not mm. I don't know, Jess. I saw Phil do this. So that, I don't know. I took his body language, much like Danny. I'm an expert in body language. Uh, the, for the podcast <laughs> listeners. Uh, yeah, I need to hear more about this. You did. Um, my wife likes to call it, because I do it sometimes in bed, like Whoa. being at the beach. Okay, I've been laying high for 30 years. Listen. <laughs> but it's. This is a um, family show, Bloom. He had both his hands on his head and just staring in disbelief at such a close contest. And you said you do this in bed a lot. Yes. So uh, imagine for the listeners at home, Malcolm has just been voted out of Survivor. That's the <laughs> reaction that Malcolm right, and had. everyone else, the 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 particularly the female cast, are the ones pointing and laughing because they're so excited <laughs> that Michelle ended up taking one home, which I was excited about as well. Like it really sucked to lose Lee, but God, I would hate to lose three women in a row here to start off yeah. because you know as much as this show really tried to build up like, hey, anybody can be tough as nails no matter where you come from. It would come down almost on the show itself if the three overtime challenges were based more towards a male skill set, which is favoring, you know, more upper body strength, etc. But Michelle killed it in a cardigan, no less. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was really happily surprised with how she did, considering that, like, 
I would say, I mean, I guess part of it was Survivor-esque, right? Like, untying the knots. But the rest of it was just, like, hauling weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jess, you wouldn't think that this would be a challenge on paper that Michelle would be able to beat Lee at. Not only was it uh, involving physical strength, you also needed to climb onto the hay bales and pull the rope. And Rufer Lee does have a significant height advantage over Michelle, probably in the neighborhood of, if not uh, two feet, a foot and a half. Oh, for sure. But I would say at least 100%. I think two Michelles make one lead, personally. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe we get a remake of the Big Brother 20 failed sitcom pilot, the uh, tall and the short of it, Mike. Oh, they're going to say twins. No. So I would no. go for that, for that version as well. No. If, uh, I, if, I, uh, I feel Fessy a Photoshop coming on. have passed. <laughs> get Michelle and Lee on it. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, I thought it was interesting that they have taken pains when the task is something that physical they are adjusting for height to make it even. And there's a lot of, you see that happen sometimes on Survivor Challenge, but definitely not every Survivor Challenge. And they certainly never do it on The Amazing Race. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was, it was a good way to evaluate strength uh, per person. And yeah. we saw it on the coal challenge as well. You had to shovel like a percentage of your body weight in coal. And I think that helped. But also the way that you swung those big hay bales around, that is not unlike swinging around a 50 pound suitcase. Yeah. And Michelle probably is accustomed to swinging around things that weigh almost half her body weight and throwing them up on top of things. So I'm going to say this really did play to her skill sets, maybe a little bit more than Rufer Lee, because I don't know if you were watching this. People were yelling at him to lift with his legs, and he was not doing that. Mm -hmm. It was hurting yep. my back to watch him move. Like, yeah. How did I, I he felt... last 61 years on this planet and not, like, lifting like that? Like, how is he still upright? I mean, to be fair, he's spending every day, like, stooped over for mm, however many hours point. a day. So maybe his back is just built AF. But the other inter interesting thing was stacking the hay bales. Because I feel like we got the same strategy from both of them. But Michelle sort of brought up, like, she kind of jenga it a bit, right? This mm -hmm. idea of, well, I can't just make one tall stack because that's just going to tip over. And you can imagine, like, the Tetris of it all of stacking luggage to fit into mm -hmm. some sort of aircraft is probably a bit of it. So uh, maybe this sort of ended up being like a backdoor fire five hole in a way uh, <laughs> in that like it was there's no such thing as a backdoor five hole it's just called being good at your thing yes <laughs> mike do you suspect that michelle has ever stacked up all of these suitcases and made a tower and stood on top of them i don't know how bored you get in an airport i don't know the cincinnati airport in particular i'm not sure how crazy it is Cincinnati's I would a hub, people, mike people might do it in like laguardia but not for fun just like out of malice <laughs> Wasn't yeah. expecting the LaGuardia Airport shade. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of shade at LaGuardia. But yeah, I, so I, I like Jess's thoughts. Though. The more I think about it, the more... And I guess that sort of is like the story of Michelle, too, right? They they called her the little engine that could that, oh, you, you look at her initially and you think, oh, she can't do this. But she has like the gumption and wherewithal to be able to overpower anybody. And that's just like this challenge. You look at her initially and you're like, oh, Michelle's toast. And she's able to use her skill set to completely overcome things unfortunately at the expense of lee who again like at, from our perspective was still in it as much as we talked about him possibly needing to see like three chiropractors after mm -hmm. this he did get milliseconds away seemingly from ringing that bell and surviving yeah just just i can't believe that rufer lee is out of the competition for uh the top prize well i think this episode alone validates phil's 
choice to structure the game such that you get to see everybody through yeah. the whole thing. Like, like, what if this was all the Roofer Lee we were going to get? I think this you would not have Phil coming on at an 11 every week to talk to us. Yeah. And Mike, I have to say that uh, that I actually really like this format where we can stay with these characters and not like in like an edge of extinction sort of way where it's like, mm. OK, well, uh, you know, I, I, I like Yule, but uh, he's voted out. But at least I get to watch him on the edge of extinction. But, you know, it's really not the same thing. I don't know. I mean, it seems like the players that are currently eliminated do influence the game in some way, in a different manner of speaking, because Lynette and uh, Melissa were obviously both big people in the team challenge for completely yeah. different reasons, and that Melissa is essentially the reason why Dirty Hands has, you know, $2,000 more in their hands, and Lynette was one of the big, you know, uh, vocal reasons why Savage Crew just ends up self-destructing this episode. Yeah, but it's that when I see them on the show, I'm not like thinking about them like, all right, let's get back to the people that are in the competition. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they are still like an integral part of the show. And yeah. I, and I, I think- like that there's a strategic angle to it as well with your whole team. And you have people saying, we need to win this challenge because this is the only chance they have to earn money. And it kind of bolsters this team spirit or it should in theory. And even though it kind of didn't in yeah. this instance. Yeah, and I think it was uh, Murph that uh, brought this up in the episode. Like, it's interesting that it's not coming from the players who are saying, hey, this is my only chance that I can yeah. win mm-hmm. money on the show. That there are players that say, hey, we got to win this challenge because, you know, uh, Lynette's been uh, voted out and so has uh, uh, Melissa. Yeah, and I, and I think that that also speaks from Murph's personal experience, though, right? Like, if you're talking mm-hmm. about, Phil said that everyone sort of comes from a team background, but Murph might come from the largest team background since he comes from a literal army mm-hmm. where it's you have to be have a unified front and, like, you're only as strong as the people you run into the bunker with. It's the and few so like, and the proud. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so I can imagine that he's like, like, well, you know what? I I I need to support you know my my brothers in arms or sisters in arms, as it were. Whereas maybe other people that are used to working more independently, uh, someone like Tara, for instance, who I think you know maybe is more a bit more of an independent person just based on her background, may not have that like specifically vocal approach to the competitions. It's not bad; it's just different. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about the uh, team challenge because it seemed like that uh, we really had uh, the my my dirty hand stands uh, were really uh, all all going crazy tonight because it was a good night for dirty hands where Savage Crew was really uh, suffering for uh, that lack of leadership. Uh, Just what would you make about the search for a leader over on Savage Crew? It's really interesting to see people's rationale for not wanting to lead. And I have a whole like, I, I, I can give you like a whole TED talk about Murph later on because I have a lot of opinions about Murph, but I thought I'd it was very interesting. It. Oh, I, I have so many opinions. Uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be good, but I think we got to save cool. it for the individual because. murph log. Oh yeah. I, it's, yeah. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that a lot of people didn't want to lead because they wanted to do and that is yeah. something that I, I feel very acutely as someone who has like over the years kind of moved more into project management and has been compelled to take things that I'm eventually going to have to have credit for and make other people do them. It's a very hard thing to do. And it's uh, something 
you'd much rather have your hands in it yourself and be responsible for it. And I think that speaks to the kind of work ethic that they're celebrating here. It's like there's a lot more pride in being the one that does the work rather than being the foreman. And Murph had a very good point that if he is trying to operate the machinery, he can't look up and see what other people are doing. Uh, and then you have you have Tara, who's kind of the same thing. Like she didn't feel like, you know, she knew how to operate the things and she wanted to operate the things. She didn't want to be the one directing other people. Where you yeah. contrast that with someone like Michelle, whose entire strength in the entire competition is directing other people. Yeah, it's. I think that, you know, Dirty Hands really benefited in many ways from having someone who has direct experience on this being on the team. Because I would imagine if that wasn't the case, they would run into similar problems. Right? I think Savage Crew also got a bit unlucky that they were dealing with six people who had no experience as to how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think a lot of fingers got pointed at Tara because they're like, well, you know how to work with the wire. Uh, and so it's it just sort of became, okay, you should be the one that should be stepping up. And then when she was stepping up, then people were sort of blaming her communication yeah. style. But I would imagine if for some reason Melissa couldn't have participated in this challenge, I do wonder if something similar would have happened where you do not have an experienced beacon to look towards on your team. Someone that you trust wholly will be able to manage you. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And I want to I want to throw this out here because I don't think this is something I'm going to be able to do on Tough as Nails nearly as often as I do on Amazing Race. But, you know, we're watching an episode of Amazing Race and I can be like, oh, yeah, I've been there. I know where the, I know where that stuff is. This is something I've done. <laughs> you've done this challenge where you... I've not you, done this exact challenge. Wire fence. I have put up fence. Okay. Uh, okay. When I was a kid, my father had a fencing business and I've operated a post hole digger and I've, op I've worked with barbed wire. So I, I'm very excited to see a couple of things in this episode that are things I have done. And what's what's your auger experience like? I, I was not allowed to work with the power tools, but I've seen other people do it enough that I think if the three of us had to put up a fence, you would want me on the auger. OK, all right. <laughs> so well, someday when the three of us are competing for the least tough person in the I, nation, yeah. mm -hmm. I think Rob and I would make great posts. Just wrap wire around yeah, me. That's probably Facebook. my best function. Yeah, just put an orange mark on your calf and. Bury you right. bury me in the dirt. Yes. Uh, and being <laughs> the one person on the panel who probably knew what an auger was before tonight, I think that, that uh, you are uh, uniquely qualified to lead this panel. I'm like three for three this, this season. I, I, I knew what an alternator was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've worked with thought, a post hole digger. <laughs> I thought an auger was a thing that like hunted vampires legitimately before this episode. <laughs> I, no, you're thinking of, you're thinking of Harry Potter. Oh, of the horrors. Yes. Uh, so, Jess, in learning to put up a fence like this, uh, do you have any like uh, tips that you would be able to uh, help with if you were our team leader? Like, what would you be telling us? I'd be telling you all to put on your freaking gloves. Yeah. Um, like, Tara, I think, is a special case because she just handles metal all the time. But don't touch barbed wire without putting on gloves. Mm -hmm. That just seems intuitive. Yeah. I'm sure Phil will have some insight onto this, Jess, but, you know, uh, Phil hinted at how uh, barbed wire really changed farming that was there just was prior to barbed wire. Was there wire that didn't have points on it and the animals would run into it and be able to take it down? Like, is is the barbed wire just to the animals go near it and then they get hurt and they, then they don't go near the fence? Well, it's not just keeping the animals in. It's keeping other stuff out. Mm, yeah. Ah, so that's what it is. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, like that's kind of the big thing. And especially like most of the predators that would get your cattle are pretty intelligent. Yes. And could figure out ways around a normal fence. But that, and it also, it saves labor. Like a barbed wire fence is a much simpler thing to put up than like a whole wall of posts. Yes. I should know this because so. I recently watched Babe. <laughs> All right. I was not. That'll a, do, dirty hands. That'll age. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, was uh, a, a, a almost an adult at the time that that movie came out. So then I recently watched it. And it was intense. I got to say. I thought, like, oh, look, hey, hey, kids, want to watch this happy movie, Babe? Yeah, well, I don't remember it being rather kid friendly. No. I thought it was. I think it's a pretty mature movie. Kind of gory, yeah. But it's a talking pig. Like, how is that not? Is this like that trap when you go to watch Watership Down, thinking it's a cartoon? Yeah, right. It's like a Ralph Bakshi film, or like you think it's animated. <laughs> yeah. and it turns out to be anything. Anything. Yes. Young. I'm just gonna say, spoiler alert. If you have, if you're a parent, uh, I think it's on like uh, HBO Max or one of these. A lot of animals are gonna die on Babe. <laughs> Okay, noted. Putting that out there. This will get a make sure about, kids what about, are ready for What about this. Babe? Have you ventured into Babe Two: Pig in the no, City I to see if that if that downgrades? Die, but uh, good, good <laughs> yeah, to know. But they die of natural causes. Instead. A lot of rats die in that one. Mm, okay. All right. So uh, Jess has worked with the uh, barbed wire. Did you see any teams that were doing anything that you specifically thought were was uh, a bad handling of this task? I mean, I thought there was a lot of good strategy here. Like, I, I thought the, the laying out the posts before you do anything else is a pretty key thing. Um, there also, I liked Callie rolling the barbed wire down the hill and noting that the barbed wire reminds her of both fishing nets and fishing line. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Um, it's really fun to see where people discover their kind of hidden strengths that tie into what they do. It's like a secret, it's like a secret five hole. Every mm-hmm. time that happens. Yeah, that backdoor back to our final coming back. Uh, and of course, in theming with that, Young once again runs into something that he has no experience in when we get to later of like, I, I've hooked up water, but this does not look like a host connector to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe at some point there will be something that is literally on fire that Young will be able to like. <laughs> I, okay, I really want to see. This yeah, I can I- do. I want to see the thing that, like, Young's story so far has just been that he's kind of a load every time, and I want to see the thing that he shines at. And I know, just because of the narrative structure of the show and, like, the way that Phil speaks about it, I have to imagine that's coming. Like, there's going to be something where the team is not going to be able to function without him or where he's just going to blow away the competition. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to see what that thing is because they are really leading up to something with him. Yeah. Um, I thought, Mike, it was odd that after the challenge was won by uh, Dirty Hands, then uh, they brought in, like, all right, let's bring a bull in. And here's yes. now, well, let's let's test your your pen. Here's a bull. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we needed that extra thing. Maybe ranch manager Dwight just had like an unruly bull he wanted to get off his hands and put up in this. Because I would not want to trust, as much as I trust, you know, the the working hands of this cast. I don't know if I trust them so much with like a pen they've never put out before to hold in one of my animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I, maybe there were animal wranglers nearby just Melissa, in case though. it became faulty. Yeah, she seems like she knows what she's doing. Yeah, Melissa has put up a few fences in her life. Put up a few fences, and uh, that then that bull has a a new home, Jess. Yeah, I, I'm sure he'll be very comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else that we want to say about the team challenge? 
I mean, sure, sure, we could talk a little bit more about the... I don't know if there's like a, are we Team Terra or Team Murph or whoever, but I mean, this is the first legitimate interpersonal conflict we had mm-hmm. this uh, this season. It will not be the last in this episode, but I think it's it's pretty significant, and I do wonder if this is going to keep becoming a thing, because it, it just feels like... I don't know, it, it felt like the schism that I saw was that, it, again, if it's Terra versus Murph, a lot of the team is taking Murph's side. Yeah. And I wonder if that's going to bear out in the future where, like, Tara just doesn't feel like she's part of the team. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. I can't actually tell who's in the right here. I can kind of see, like, they did a good job of portraying both sides here because I think, on one hand, neither one of them wanted to lead. And Mm -hmm. it looked to me like Tara just kind of foisted it on Murph Mm -hmm. when it came Mm -hmm. down to it. But I have to imagine the team had to agree on that. But you see Murph kind of blanching when she says he's in charge. And then you see Murph saying authoritatively, I decided at a certain point in this challenge, I was going to give over leadership to Tara. And it doesn't seem like Tara knows that or... Maybe he said it to her and she didn't want to hear it and she didn't want to do it. So she didn't respond to it. But I can't tell which of those things is true. And I think that would inform my feelings about this situation. Yeah, I'm going off the third party here. Linnet seemed not happy with Tara. So uh, I feel like that, uh, at at least based on what we saw, I I feel like we were supposed to feel like that uh, Murph was in the right or Murph should have taken uh, the leadership role. What do you think? Yeah. Murph was, I think, in the less wrong. It's probably the more proper way to put yeah. it. Is that I think Tara committed the worst offense in that, like you said, like even though she wasn't, she didn't want leadership at the outset. It did seem like when it got to the post wrapping that like she was the most vocal. And it's always this thing of like, is the most vocal person a leader? We're not entirely sure. They looked to her for experience because she was able to. She's tied wire before, but even that was sloppy, right? So mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if she even knew she was going to handle that part because in terms of organization wise, it was all over the place of, okay, I'm going to run back and do this. But maybe if we start stringing up the posts as we're putting them up, that'll help us catch up. I'd love to hear from Phil as we talked to him in a little bit about like exactly how close it ended up being because it was at least really portrayed in Jeff Probst parlance. It's like one of the biggest blowouts in Toughest Nails history. (laughs) Despite the fact that Dirty Hands did, like, get a crooked post and have to recalibrate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't you notice how every challenge is either neck and neck or a huge blowout? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, let's then talk about uh, the advantage which came into play from last week's episode where Murph had uh, found the alternator the fastest and he was uh, entrusted with uh, creating the pairs and Danny was worried. The second week in a row, we heard Danny say, well, boy, Murph has the advantage. But, uh, you know, what I'm really worried about is that is he going to use that advantage against me? Just my, my question for Drywall Danny is who hurt you? <laughs> well, I, I want to I, maybe here is is the time for me to speak about Murph a little bit, because I also want to speak about Danny here because I think this is something you only ever see on reality shows in their infancy where you get a group of people that have been brought on to do a particular thing and then one or two of them emerge as people who are playing the the quote-unquote game and nobody else is playing a game but then there's like this these 
one or two people doing this like fourth dimensional chess in their heads every time. And you have two people this season who are doing that in Murph and Danny. And the two of them are like trying to gamify it. And they're the only ones that are talking about like, how do I personally get to the end? And how do I strategize this? And I think they kind of found each other this, they found in each other this kindred spirits of like, we are we have a particular goal in mind and this is what this is what we want to do and we're the ones that get it mm. so i see why he would want the two of them to be working together you see them as sort of like the prof x and magneto of the uh <laughs> yes. nails world they're, uh, they're, they're oh. sitting there playing chess with the rest of the pieces i guess the question is who's who like danny can sort of be like uh, a plaster version of magneto and that he can move that around with his mind instead of metal <laughs> hmm. tara would be more so the magneto right hmm. <laughs> or maybe she's magneto's enemy <laughs> is magneto a rod buster <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, 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 yeah, that was Magneto his original be name before his uh, barbed wire challenge. Exactly. Before Magneto's like, maybe I should change my name. It won't be Rod Buster anymore. I want to be taken seriously. <laughs> yeah, but you see it like, you know, Survivor had Richard Hatch. And, you know, you know Amazing Race had Boston Rob. And mm. you get what these people in there, um, we are currently rewatching. Season one of The Mole, and there is a guy on there named Jim who is the mm-hmm. only one who's got that next level thinking. And it's really entertaining to me. Like Sometimes you get people that have been specifically cast to do that, and everybody does it. But this show, Phil has specifically not cast those people, and he got two of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, Rob, should we call Danny and Murph the chill town of Tough as Nails? <laughs> but are they completely aligned in the same way, or at least for, you know, the next uh, 15 or so years, uh, will they be on the same page? <laughs> well, no, yeah. Until they have a horrible blow yeah. up. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, well, that's the thing is that I think that this is also a really interesting challenge because I'm pretty sure they were all inter-team. Right, not intra team, and I guess we can talk to Phil about that about whether Murph had to pair people up from different teams. Uh, so it's not like they have the opportunity to really work together. But I would say now that three people are gone, and I think we're starting to sort of tier, you know, if we could pick winners now, who would be the biggest individual winner? You'd have to imagine these are probably two top tier picks right now, mm-hmm. for in terms of airtime and in terms of just like skill quality. Yeah. So just based on your theory of there being sort of like uh, the two like tempo setters out there, was this the right move for Murph to uh, team up with Danny on this task rather than send Danny, pair Danny uh, and use Danny's worst fears of put Danny with potentially the least likely competitors to help him complete this task? I think it was the smartest move because I think you put Danny with anybody else. Like if you put Danny with somebody you think is going to sandbag him, he goes to the bottom, he beats that person. The worst person's out. Then you don't have any more dead weight and Danny is still there and now he's mad at you. Mm -hmm. So I think this is more of a game recognized game situation. And you see a lot of these. And again, I'm going to drag in and force another metaphor here. But um, this is something that people do a lot of on Ink Master. This is these types mm-hmm. of challenges where you have to pick somebody else to team up with and complete a challenge together. And the possibility is that you're going to have to face off against that person if you're in the bottom. You see a lot of this where they pick the person that is the best. Uh, and some people do try to sandbag the 
people that are not the best, but you kind of want for yourself, you want to choose somebody that's going to help you win that first challenge so you don't have to go to the bottom. Okay. And I think Murph is kind of thinking, well, Danny is likely to go far whether or not I put him with someone else. And so I'll put him because we know that we're going to work very hard. We're going to work well together. We're the same type of person. We can worry about going up against each other later. You know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. <laughs> yeah, he, he wants to serve himself first. Like, right. It, because he can right. also end up picking somebody and completely have it completely blow up in his face. Whereas if he picks who he thinks is again, we don't know. We've never heard. This is a real Laura Moret Shambo situation, oh right? <laughs> We're like, we hear Danny say like, "Murph, my biggest competition." Murph has not said a lick about Danny until this episode. And what he did is just like, "Yeah, he's fun. I enjoy Danny." It's like we have no idea what Murph thinks about Danny in terms of a threat. Murph may, might not even see this competition in terms of that threat level, uh, but I can imagine if he's just like, I want to get through to the next round, let me pick who I think is the strongest competitor, it would make sense to go with Danny. And I think between that and just the really short, fun, ironic moment of Callie saying, please just pick anybody but Young to have her get paired up with Young, uh, there were a couple of fun little editing moments in this particular challenge. Yeah, Mike, do you think that Murph tried to sandbag any two people in particular by pairing them together? Or do you feel like, do you take him at his word that he tried to make the teams as even as possible? I mean, if I'm going to be candid, I don't think Murph cared once mm. he once he picked Danny. I mm-hmm. think he's like, we're pretty much set. Let me just like start putting random people together. I could imagine that like he wanted to make a statement by putting Lee and Michelle together. Of like, I think they worked well together. They're able to see a commonality in their age. Not sure. You know, we see these these people hang out sometimes between challenges, but we don't really know what their dynamic is like. So I'm not sure if he had a reason behind yeah. Callie and Young, Tara and Miles and Linda and Lewis, but like. I, I did not see any particular weak link of those three pairs uh, that would attribute to Mert's gaming of it all. Jess, an amazing race leg with these five pairs. Uh, who's first place and who's eliminated? Um, I, I think we probably see it play out much the same way we saw it here, if we're being honest. Do you think Liam and Michelle would be eliminated? Yeah, well, you know, and you know, this is something that Phil has hinted about as we've been talking to him, that uh, things are different on this show. And Mm -hmm. we're so conditioned to think like from the rest of our reality show experience, we're so conditioned to think that they're doomed. I think this is like the non-elimination leg for Michelle. I, I, I don't know. I would also say I think. There's a chance like Linda and Lewis would be the young dating couple that's like testing their relationship on the race <laughs> and they just like cannot get along for a lick yeah. of a leg. And babe, it's babe, crumble. pick up the hose. Babe, come on, babe. What are you doing, I broke, babe? I broke my, my finger. finger, babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they, are they like this, the Sarah and Shamar? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my balls. They got caught in the pipe. Oh, no. <laughs> oh dear. Hate when that happens. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we have our five pairs here, and it's going to be uh, Murph and Danny, uh, as we mentioned. Then we also are going to uh, have uh, Lee and Michelle. We have Callie and Young, Linda and uh, Lewis, and then uh, Miles is paired with uh, Tara. 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 Yes. Um, so uh, some interesting pairs, uh, some interesting strategies. Does it look like that uh, Callie and Young were going to be in trouble when they were, dis- were deciding to carry the pipes around rather than roll them? <laughs> yeah, this is, again, this is not something I have done directly, but it is something that I have witnessed and something like we I'm sure the two of you have not seen 
these irrigation things in recent memory. I saw one like two days ago. Not that I recall, um, yeah. No, not since yeah. Mesopotamia. <laughs> well, they had rivers in Mesopotamia. You have to bring the water to your fields here. Uh, but yeah, I, I would imagine, at least my thought is, if there's a wheel on it, you should probably roll yeah. it on the yeah, ground. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people that were able, like they had the mechanical mind, even if they hadn't directly worked with one of these things, to look at it and figure out how it works and figure out the quickest way to do it. And things like dropping the dropping the posts as you're running out to the end of the field was something that a lot of people did. And making all the connections as you're going rather than putting all the pipes in one row and then doing the connections. Mm -hmm. I thought that was something. And also making sure you got it exactly right on your first try because it looked yeah. like it was a huge setback if you had a burst pipe or if you had a leak, you had to figure out where it was and go back and redo whole chunks of it. So it really seemed like... It it, it is, and it is, this is again, this is a classic Amazing Race thing. If you you have to make sure you get it all done correctly on the first try, so that you don't lose any time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously, like the I think that the bottom three finishing pairs had by far the most drama behind. It. I mean, Lee and Michelle wasn't drama as much as like they got stuck at a connection to the point where they were like grunting in exertion, and that basically put them behind because they were doing pretty well uh but we talked about linda and lewis and callie just like even when they win she still puts down young i'd be like yeah i basically dragged him across the finish line i'm the and, captain yeah i'm the captain now look at me uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh it was a real uh captain phillips moment I mean, it really was. And Young was always like, "Sure, take me hostage. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'll like, I'll do whatever." But, uh, but it, then, it takes a it takes a good man to admit when someone else is leading you, and you need to just let yourself be led. And I think we have to give Young some credit for that. Because mm -hmm. well, I think he started, what he's just like, "Listen, you're going to help me not be in overtime for once. Sure, I'll listen. Yeah. I've, been, I've tried everything else, and that hasn't yeah. worked. So I'm I mean, if that's that. the only reason he got there, at least he got there. Whatever gets you know? me out of OT." I'm good. Lead, follow, or get out of the way, as they say in tough as nails circles. I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, but I'm a I'm a little surprised that I don't know. I feel like the the edit was giving us that Linda and Lewis would end up in the bottom because they definitely seemed like at least Linda was just dragging Lewis to the point where I think like one of the cardinal sins of tough as nails. She said in confessional, "I don't think Lewis is that tough." Yeah, that feels like a swear on this show. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jess, this is not the first time we've heard this type of thing about Lewis this season. Yeah, I think people originally see him when he's coming in and he looks like because he's so good looking and so clean every time you see him. I think people made that assumption early on. And then some of those assumptions turned out to be based a little bit in reality, but I think he didn't get a fair shake coming in and he just hasn't, it hasn't gotten any fair for him. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think it's really it, the first, the first two episodes, or I guess technically it's three episodes that we've seen. Everybody was so like teamworky and touchy feeling and really wanting to get along. And now they have dropped the facade and they can't continue wanting to get along quite so hard anymore. And I think now it's starting to cook with gas a little bit more. And it's very, 
it's very interesting to me. Like we were saying, we don't know what the dynamics are yet, and we're starting to see the dynamics form. And I think this is going to start to form the narrative arc of the season. Yeah. So I like seeing this, like Linda and Lewis. We kind of we got a sense for who Linda was prior to this episode. We got a sense for who Lewis was, but we didn't know what the two of them together would be like and what kind of ramifications that has on everybody else. Yeah. Safe to say also, uh, Lewis's finger probably was not broken. It did not seem like it. He was still moving it around and doing the work. He was just complaining a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Mike, a- anything you want to add from the irrigation challenge? Uh, could you could you think you could sum up what ended up happening with Michelle and Lee in terms of uh, what they ended up having trouble with? I mean, it literally was just like the penultimate connection. They just got really stuck at it. I don't know if it was just it was a particularly bad latch or if they just had trouble lining up the pipe. But that seemed to, at least from an editing perspective, really put them behind. A question I want to pose before we move on here is, do you think this is the last paired challenge we will see on the season? Hmm. Or do you think, given the drama from this, they would want to trot this out again at eight or six or four or what have you? Well, I think that we are definitely going to see more paired challenges. It may not necessarily be in pairs of two. I mean, I could see next week potentially having uh, three teams of three uh, when we're down to the final nine. I feel like the Survivor does that a lot with like the reward challenges and finding different ways to uh, break people up. So I I think we'll definitely see um, the groups broken up in different ways just yeah i think anytime the number of people left in the game is not a prime number we are going to be seeing some kind of subdivisions what there. was neat about this was that they were able to then take the bottom two and then put them into yep. uh the overtime right and it could have been a case where this sometimes happens of like oh you know uh one if one person outperforms the other and they happen to end up in the bottom two for a team they weren't picked for it's not necessarily their fault but again maybe it's just derived from the way murph picked the teams it did not feel like you know one of lee or michelle really screwed the pooch it was that they they just both happened to not deliver on that one latch and so it made sense as to why they both ended up being in the bottom there glee fans are going to be uh very excited with all the lee and michelle uh mentions tonight <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, maybe not recently a Michelle uh, mentioned, but... Yeah, I I do want to... I, I do think that it might not necessarily be teams, like sub-teams and like groups of people working together so much as I think we're going to see a lot more competitions where people are grouped together and then made to compete in heats together. Because we mm. did see that a little bit in the in the first and second episodes, I think that will enable you to see what people are doing a little bit better than um, than necessarily like having everybody go head to head at the same time. Okay, Jess, anything else that you want to add here about tough as nails uh, outing number four? Um, I have. Well, we got to talk about the hay bales yeah. um, a little bit more, I think. But I also I want to. Um, I want to have a moment to shame Danny and Murph yes, um, please. over a comment that they made that I'm not. Mike knows what I'm where I'm going with this. Yeah, um, they are both married, so they are used to being told what to do. No wonder they get along so well. Sexism is such a great uniter, uh. guys. <laughs> guys, I, I I think your wives might be tougher than you. <laughs> I think we got the wrong spouse like on these and shows. Mike or, or is this still? I mean, I, I mean, she's, well, she's correct on both I, counts. Yeah, I, it's true. Um, I think I, I would love to do a 
podcast with both of your spouses and I have podcasted with them individually and they are definitely tougher than either one of you individually, but <laughs> yeah, I can, I will co-sign that, <laughs> but you guys are not necessarily the Danny and Murph of RHAP. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we, we can we do a little better, uh, Danny and Murph. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to cancel them outright <laughs> yet because I think we need this kind of emergent strategy in the toughest nails mm-hmm. ecosystem and they're the only ones bringing it. But yeah. I don't. I don't like the uh, women are bossy and talky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, trope. it's, it's to, tired. To paraphrase Phil, like there's work to do in that yeah. regard. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's is, work. Is that, is, that, is that Phil's phrase, by the way? Like, let's go to work, or there's work to do. He's trying to like make that a thing in the show. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of the spin and grin of toughest nails so far. It's in that it's not really gelling yet. Okay, season but one. give it time. Season one. Yeah. This season one, it's still we're still working out the vernacular, and you know if you go back and watch season one of Amazing Race, most of Phil's shtick is not there either. Yeah. So it it takes time. It's it's percolating. Um, yeah, but I I think you know overall I I think we're we're doing great here, and there's so much interesting stuff going on both it's in the tasks themselves and in the people now finally because when it's I think up until this point, it was all tasks all the time. And all we could talk about was this person was good at this task. And now we're starting to get to know the people. And I think this this episode to me was a big leap forward. Okay. Uh, just what about the hay bales? Um, I mean, we've we've talked a lot about the hay bales, but I I did think that there were there were some strategy elements to moving those things, uh, picking it up by the string. Uh, that was hurting my hands to watch it. And mm-hmm. what is again the correct about, strategy to move hay, Jess? I mean, that is how you have to lift yeah. them, but you do have to throw your legs into it. And I think Michelle had the right idea to not lift it up and carry it the whole way, but to kind of flip yeah, it end over end. Well, do you think Phil, just being an amazing race guy, naturally had to put a task with hay bales in here? I feel like if Michelle had went particularly like that would have been immensely heartbreaking given the the use of hay bales on previous Amazing Race seasons. This could be why they don't have the like they left that that idea that everybody has to finish every task. Uh, Maybe that's why they don't they didn't continue that past the first episode because they were worried when they got to the hay bales there might be a scenario where Rufer Lee was stuck there for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Can, can I also ask, uh, you know, we all have kids, but my, mine is not of the age of tied shoes yet. Do you feel like you're both more expert knots people as a result of working with kids with shoelaces, as Michelle was alluding to? My kid ties his shoes about as well as Akiva, so Rob's got to speak <laughs> yeah, to this. Yeah, I think we only have Velcro shoes at my house. I don't think anybody's uh, tying any shoes. Uh, I really liked how Michelle just went in with, like, uh, using her teeth to untie those knots. Yeah, Jeff Probst would have loved that. Because mm-hmm. like that, that's the thing he absolutely loves about challenges. I mean, Michelle generally was like, he, she blazed through those knots. And I think that was also, that was key, right? Because, again, if it did come down to milliseconds... That little lead that Michelle got was yeah. was what she needed, and God, she was so freaking adorable when, she, like, just the confessional of her going "yeehaw, hot damn, I did it" was like, ah, <laughs> oh, I love her, mm-hmm. I love her so much. I'm rooting for her all yeah. the way right now. Yeah. Now, now that Lee had to Lee had to fall, so that apparently Michelle shall yes. rise. Um, Mike, what's the part that Jeff Probst is going to really like is when somebody suffers uh, some sort of a tooth injury, like JT in Survivor Token Cheese. Mm. He likes that. No, I feel. I feel like Jeff has a thing where, like, when somebody is untying knots with their teeth, he, like, has a particular spike in energy. Like, wow, 
That's how you play Survivor, using your teeth on a knot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how you play Survivor? That's a facet of it, apparently. Out tooth, out play, out last. Mm -hmm. Out gnaw. Yeah. Uh, There was one more thing I forgot to bring up when we were talking about the individual challenge. I enjoyed that Phil is calling the plays and kind of challenging his, you know, he's channeling his inner probes to commentate throughout the whole thing. But I like it better when the people that are not in the individual challenges are sitting there with him and he gets them to contribute as well. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. this is going to be far more entertaining as the numbers dwindle. And when you have like four people doing a challenge and eight people sitting there with Phil talking about what's going on, I think that could be really entertaining. Yeah. Wow. Do you think, does does that mean the continuation of Phil Mad Lips that he started doing this episode with uh, ages (laughs) Not a fa- fill in the blankly or uh, work strong or not hard. Like he's prompting audience responses. See, now you sound it. you sound like you're playing the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Work smarter, not. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some other toughest nails phrases you could put in there, Mike? Uh, let's go to <laughs> work. Uh, the person going into overtime is eliminated young young yeah that's the correct answer it's probably the majority answer. it's time to punch out yes. or in out I, they don't punch in anymore no, they, everybody in. is punched in until they're punched out yes uh we also had the confirmation tonight of something phil brought up with us uh last week on the show that the team mm. that wins the most challenges just will get 60k that's that's a lot of what money. What do you think of the Cal Yeah, I was about to say that so is colorful. That is by far my favorite badge of honor. Yeah, not a spot so of blood on it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, like the, the cow is not being decapitated by a grinder <laughs> or a barbed um, wire. Yeah, it's like everybody's happy to see the cow. The cow is happy to see them. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Okay. All right. Um, Mike, anything else you want to add before uh, we start to uh, wrap up for tonight and get ready for Phil? Well, we're getting to some sand next week. We're going into a construction site, mm-hmm. which seems like it's seems like it's going to get a little amazing racy. Like it seems like one of the vans gets lost, whereas the other one doesn't, which will be again some really intriguing crossover. So it looks like the drama has only just begun. But babe, I, I, babe, you got to look at the map, babe. Come on, yeah, babe, exactly. look at the map. Then they get stuck in the sand and have to get towed out. But yeah, I, I think that, I don't know, this is a, this has been an interesting episode in that I think that the interpersonal drama really got kicked up a notch. And I think that sort of has helped maybe change the, not the tone of the season, but change the course of it a bit to bring in some of those more reality TV elements. And I'm not mad at it. I think it's made for very interesting discussion. So I'll be intrigued to see if this was just, you know, a barb in the fence or if this is going to be the whole post. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jess, anything else you want to add about uh, episode four? Um, Overall, fantastic episode. Best one so far. I think Phil seems to be suggesting that it's all going to be uphill from here. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to see where it goes. I, I do like that they are taking actual like reality TV editing tropes and flipping them on their heads. Um, So we get the tearful life story of Tara and she's nowhere near eliminated this week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I and I they're doing that obviously they're doing that on purpose because they know we're expecting it and then we don't get the payoff and mm-hmm. it creates more tension. So the tension is ratcheting up and I'm very 
I'm very all in on this show after the outcome of this episode. Yes. Okay. Uh, so you're saying that the tension is akin to the Dirty Hands team's uh, barbed wire, as opposed to a uh, much looser tension on the Savage Cruise fence. Yes, but all the posts are lined all up. The posts are lined up. Okay. All right. Uh, Jess, it was great to talk through uh, this episode uh, with you. I know that uh, you are also podcasting alongside uh, Josh Wiggler and Brooklyn Zed on the Mole Rewatch. Yeah, uh, you should all join us over at the Mole Patrol. It is the funnest and loosest and kind of wackiest podcast I'm doing this summer, which Considering that I also do this one is kind yeah. of saying quite a bit, uh, but we have a lot of fun with it. We have games every week. There's sort of a little sprinkling of B&B flavoring in this mm, soup. And, delicious. Oh, it's so tasty. And people are sending us Wandos because apparently now the thing is, if Josh Wiggler is on your podcast, it's fair game for you to send him a parody song. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be having a mole off at the end of the season where we play all the song parodies that people are sending us. And we are mounting an Instagram um, social visibility slash harassment campaign to get Anderson Cooper to come and speak about the mole on the podcast. I don't think it's going to work, mm -hmm. but, Listen, you know, it, keep hope alive. It, it, once upon a time, you'd say it's impossibility to get Phil on a podcast. Quickly. I'm saying, so like, yeah, yeah. And I, I also, I want to thank you both for taking some extra time to break down the episode um, before you take all night preparing to talk to Phil because you didn't have to have a special segment with me. You could have just hogged Phil and the three of you could have done the recap. So I appreciate that I get to come on and talk about it. And I'm very bummed that I will not get to speak to Phil tomorrow. So please pass on my regards. Yeah, we will. And uh, we'll all be back together uh, next Thursday to uh, check in with Phil after episode five. Okay. Uh, Jess, uh, safe travels. And then uh, we'll talk with you next week. And we'll talk with Phil in just a moment. All right, everybody, as promised, we're very excited to bring in the host and creator of Tough as Nails. Please welcome in the Emmy Award winning Phil Kogan. Phil, how are you? Hold on. I was going to ring the bell, but I feel like that you want. Yes. And I will give you a raised eyebrow. Uh, every time it hits me. Phil, would you would you uh, be surprised to know that you are not the first person to get played in by that music? Actually, more than one person have requested the Specmix Stinger be no their way. sort of like wrestling intro music to whenever Rob mm -hmm. gets to talk with them on a podcast. Okay, so who else has requested the Specmix Mix-In? <laughs> Uh, there's a, a young man named John John that uh, has also uh, wanted to be introduced uh, with that as well. But uh, John John, did you say? Can you guys call me Philly Phil or something like? That? Oh, we'd love. We'll call you whatever you want. <laughs> you're you're the ranch right hands here. We're we're just sort of penned up right now in more ways than one, breaking down this episode, which was. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, the expectations you built up were, were met in a certain way. I think especially with that overtime, which oh. I can imagine. I, I know that, you know, you know as well from, from being part of The Amazing Race that sometimes endings get edited to make it look more neck and neck than it was. But at least if, if your reaction was to be considered, it truly was down to the wire. It, it was down to the wire. There are things that happen on this series, uh, and I just was doing notes on show nine. The show nine, it, 
there are things that happen on this series that if you sat down at a table and you said, okay, let's script out what we want to happen. We want this to happen and we want that. It would not be believable. You're going to see things and people are going to be like questioning whether this actually happened or or whether we got like some very experienced script writer to come in like a Ridley Scott or something and to come in and, and, and like craft the whole ending of the shows. I mean, yes. And last night was it was TV gold. And uh, you pray for those moments you, in, in your career. There are certain times in my career where you know you can never repeat something that you can't you, you just can't, it just can't get any better like i had a dinner on an erupting volcano once and the volcano blew up as i toasted the chef and and then literally the volcano like blew up on cue i mean you can't script that stuff and yes last night was one of those moments where it it it, it it spoke to the whole thesis of what the show is about too, which is redefining what the meaning of tough is. And wow. Yeah. Powerful moment. Now we're all big, uh, Lee Marshall fans here. Yes. Uh, that I, I really was v- very, very nervous during that whole battle because you're going to either way, you're going to lose either yes. Lee or, or Michelle, uh, so, such incredible stakes, uh, only a couple of episodes in to lose either one uh when, when you're in in the process of filming that uh what, what's that like to have like uh you know that these are two of like the the top people that you have out there and they're gonna do battle and one's going home uh in this uh, episode we're not yeah. going home but out of the out of the, the main yeah. competition right out of the main competition well it, it's it's uh you know i have such a a, a close attachment to every single one of the contestants because I respect them all so much. And uh, hopefully that comes across because I genuinely really like these people. And Linda Goodridge is somebody who I have been uh, looking at to be on the show since 2013. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. with Lynette, I go back, you know, as I mentioned in the last time going back to, you know, we're coming up to three years since I first connected with her. Um, and so you get really attached. I can't help it. I mean, I'm just so attached. And I think the only redeeming part of all of this is just the idea that nobody goes home. So Lee Marshall, first of all, what an amazing human being. Okay. First of all, the, the way he went into this, like he was not going to lose and he was going to take it. But have you seen such grace? Like the way that he, <laughs> he, he acknowledged Michelle's effort. He was such a graceful, honorable uh, competitor. It, it, that's the stuff that, to me, we're, we let that breathe on the show because we want people to see that, that, that you yeah. can be like Lee Marshall and be all in, but then you can also be incredibly graceful at acknowledging somebody else who beats you. And I thought that that spoke volumes. And my favorite quote of the whole and one of my favorite quotes of the whole season where, where Lee says, you got Michelle and, and, and a bear in a fight. Uh, you you want to help out the bear. Like, don't worry about Michelle. She's good. Was, um, was, did Lee accidentally spoil a future challenge of uh, the, the work that forest rangers and animal wranglers do where they have to wrestle bears? Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe it was foreshadowing something to come. <laughs> um, but but what's, what's great about this, and I, without saying too much, is I just want to say Lee is going to have a moment of redemption this season on Tough as Nails. Lee Redemption. 
Yes. And this episode, Michelle, I mean, sorry, Melissa had her moment of redemption Mm -hmm. in the fencing challenge. So that's the great thing about this format is that even if someone loses out in the individual, their focus then becomes all about team. And I just love the way that they embrace that and do whatever it takes for their team. And you are going to see that kind of commitment from, from Lee Marshall. Cause there is, as he says, there, there ain't no quitting me is what he mm. says. And there is no quitting that man, that man, 62 years old, both of them going at it last night. I mean, it was some powerful TV. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of going to the farm, uh, cause obviously I can imagine that you plot these out ahead of time. Wasn't that just another, like you can't script this stuff that farm girl gets eliminated the previous challenge. And then the next, the very next thing is, okay, this is my moment. This is the only challenge I can participate in. Yes. And, and look, I, I really believe, you know, one of my favorite quotes is luck is the residue of design. If you put the right elements in place and into things and you put the work in and you get the right people around you and you set yourself up for things to happen, good things to happen, you put the hard work in. I really do believe that sometimes the planets align as a result of the hard work. So again, mm-hmm. luck is the residue of design. And we saw that time and time again on Tough as Nails, where we set things up to happen. We had the best people in place. We had a great cast. And I'm telling you, if people, when they watch some of the episodes, they are going to question whether this really happened. Like, could could this really have happened? Like, are you kidding me? Like, really? And yes, I'm telling you, it's all legit. It's all real. Real money on the line and everything real. I think one of the things that's uh, really great about the format, Phil, is that we're going to see these people continue to be a part of the show moving on. From At what point uh, in the development process did that idea come up of keeping people around? Because it's sort of the you know uh, antithesis of the reality show genre where that, okay, we start with all these people and we whittle it down to this. Mm-hmm. But uh, this show, uh, you know, uh, we're bringing out these characters, but we're keeping them all on board and, and continuing their story over the course of a season. Well, I got to say that CBS... And the executives at CBS have been incredible collaborators in terms of embracing the idea. And and, and we talked about this last time when people are uh, have constructive criticism or, you know, constructive yeah. advice. Because mm. uh, to me that you have to be creative to be constructive with your criticism. Right. And so all the way through the process and the development, they really gave us fantastic feedback. And I mentioned to you that this this idea of this team challenge and an individual challenge goes back to 2013 riding mm-hmm. around France and thinking about the Tour de France and thinking about the, 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 the different competitions that happen within one race. It also happens in gymnastics where you have individual medals going to individual people in different disciplines and then you have a team competition. And, and But it really came, I remember we had a meeting with, uh, with Kelly Call and, and Tom Sherman over at CBS and they really loved the team aspect. They really liked that team idea. And then the key, and they sort of threw it back to us to say, yeah, let's, let's go that way. We like that idea. And then it came down to, um, at, at one point, there was a suggestion that we kind of tied the individual in with the team. And I said, no, no, you can't do that because 
if somebody is doing well in the individual, it shouldn't their their progress and how well they do should not be determined by the abilities of people on a team. It's that's right. got to be a totally mutually. There has to be a mutually exclusive, uh, mutually exclusive competitions going on. And so, like I said, they embraced that and we went with it. And it's very scary when you when I say scary, a relative word, scary. But it's 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 extremely challenging to make a first season show of anything because you're making like these huge decisions about the format you commit to it and you just don't know. Like as much as we thought this was going to work, this idea of the two separate things, we didn't know how people would respond. Like would people think that, oh, really? Like they get to stay, but they got cut. Like what do you mean they get? So the most positive thing of all of, you know, this whole thing has been A, the response to the contestants and B, that people really love that we took a completely different turn from other shows and did not send people home, which speaks to your point, Mike, which is, which is this idea that we can continually get to know Lee Marshall. Lee Marshall's out of the individual competition now, but you are going to get to know and love this man even more, even though he's not in that individual, I promise you, Whatever love you guys have for Lee Marshall, the roofer, 10,000 roofs, maybe more, you are going to love him even more by the end of it. You're going to want, you're going to rip your Impossible. roof off. And you're going to actually go and take your roof off and invite Lee over to put a new one on because you just want to hang with the man. Oh, all right. Well, uh, I don't know how my landlord will feel about that, but I'll, I'll take up that offer. Um, so we we felt that this episode took a bit of a different tone than the previous ones. And I think it's because you know, while the drama in previous episodes might have been a bit more task focused, you know, who's going to get what done first. It seemed like for one reason or another, a lot of the conflict this episode was so interpersonal, right? Yes. Between everything going on with Savage Crew and the fences to the partner challenges, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Did that surprise you when you were seeing that out in the field that all of a sudden these, you know, these people have now been around long enough that they're starting to get to a bit of loggerheads with each other? It didn't surprise me at all because, you know, we see we've seen this on race before as well. There's always and it's and it's like any relationship. Um, you go into a relationship. There's always that polite period, that honeymoon period where everybody is super polite. They do. They're trying to do everything right. They really make an extra effort to not create any, you know, to, 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 to not uh, step on any toes. And, you know, you're tiptoeing around certain subjects. You leave them alone because it's new and it's fresh and it's all, you know, everything is great. And then after you're with your friends, after you get to know people for a while, you kind of push back and you go, you know, what? I hate when you do that. Would you stop doing that? And, mm. you know, and you get real. And that's where we're at right now. You know, episode four was about getting real. They've been along. They've been with each other now. As far as the actual shoot time went, you're, you know, they've been around each other for now over a week. And it, with that kind of intense, uh, that kind of intensity, it's like, now, okay, it's getting real. I'm just going to tell you what I think. I'm not going to, mm. I'm not going to beat around the bush, so to speak. I'm going to just tell you what I think. And um, you're going to see in the next episode, uh, things are going to get even more heated um, with the teams because there's a jostling for power and there's levels of frustration that kick in um, amongst each other because they're getting to know each other. And right. there's a lot of crossover with people wanting to be in charge. 
and they're all A types. I mean, uh, for the for the most part. And so, yes, you're going to see it, it gets real. It gets real next episode for sure. Yeah, Phil, could you give us your read on the drama that was happening with the Savage crew in terms of from your perspective mm. that were, were you seeing it as that Murph should have uh, taken the leadership role and sort of been the person to be the captain of the team or that did Murph have the right idea of that he needed to be the person who was more of the soldier out there, you yes. know, executing the orders and that Tara needed to uh, really step up into that leadership role? Yeah, I, I think that Murph was saying, listen, I just want to be, I, I think in the military, they call it a grunt, right? Where you're just yeah. a worker. I just want to be the worker on this one, guys. You know, give me, put me on the end of, of, of that pole digger. Let me get in there. I'm going to have my head down. I'm not going to be watching what's going on around me. I'm just going to be a grunt and I'm going to get the job done. Let me do that role today. And because he is such a, he has such a presence and because he has led up to 300 people in the military down to teams of six, I think in that moment, they kind of were looking to him um, as a dominant figure and thinking, you know, well, Murph, you should lead. What he was saying was, and I think it just comes from his experience. He is one of the older competitors. He was saying, guys, being a leader d- doesn't necessarily mean that I can't be a big contributor. You know, I don't have to be in charge to really help the team right now. We need someone to look at the big picture and to and to put us all to work and to assign us all to work. That's why it works so well with Michelle in the train challenge, because Michelle, although she wasn't the leader, she had the foresight to see where she could fit in in her role and be the proper team, a, a proper team contributor. And I think that's exactly what Murph was doing. He was saying, if we want to be strong and work to our strengths, you should let me be the person who gets the muscling work done and you guys figure out how to structure this and plan this out, this job. How close did it end up being? Because we saw, you know, the the pre-commercial break was, oh no, Dirty Hands, you know, has a post out of line, but it did seem like Savage Crew was all over the place. Were they able to, to catch up significantly or was it a pretty big blowout ultimately? Um, I, I, I There was a moment when we, when we thought that, Savage crew were getting it together and that maybe they could catch up. But what I loved to me, one of my favorite moments in the whole show was how Melissa really owned her leadership role. Mm. Didn't take any nonsense. She, she got all her mojo back, right? She got back into that team challenge, having come off a very emotional ending, getting cut from the individual competition. And she just owned it. And she just, she dominated. And, and look, to be fair, Savage Crew just didn't have it together. They said it. They, they admitted it. And, and Melissa, apart from that one mistake, which was not her fault, that was a, a team era where she maybe lost track of what her team was doing. But she didn't waste any time in telling them and being very upfront and honest with them, guys, we got to fix this and do it now. And she, I mean, did she rally her troops and get everybody in line in a second? And it was, it's wonderful, you know, going back to last week, talking about watching men and women compete on an equal playing field, literally, where it's not about, there's so much bias in the world. And even I watch, I look online and there were some comments from people saying that, you know, oh, the fact that Lynette uh, is a woman 
was unfair for her to have to use the push cart with the assumption that because she's a woman, that she that her arm strength or her shoulder strength is less than Young's or that her power to weight ratio is different from Young because he's a man. We're, we, we need to get past the idea that just is it true that genetically men statistically are stronger than women um, if you look at it per capita? Yes, this is true. But you cannot make a broad assumption that because it's a woman going up against a man, that the man automatically has an advantage over that particular woman. We have to look at things differently. And so I love that we're getting people to question, to ask those questions, because I guarantee you, you put Melissa in an arm wrestle with most men, her, her weight, she will destroy them. Mm. She is a powerhouse. And Lynette is the same thing. Lynette is incredibly strong. She struggled with that push and uh, the, the, the push car because she was really sore from the shoveling and she'd hurt her uh, shoulder. So I feel like we're kind of opening people's eyes up to put men and women together, have them competing together. Let's not have a women's division and a men's division. There's very few sports that have that. I think equestrian is one of the few. But we really it was really important for us to have that and to show that somebody like Melissa can be a real force and a powerhouse and get the job done and technically beat out, uh, you know, Murph's team because yeah. Murph was technically the leader. Phil, can you talk a little bit about how you landed on the challenge to create the barbed wire fence on the farm? Did you just so see the bull and you're like, we got to put it somewhere. So let's, let's have them build it. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, some of the ideas literally come from conversations that I've had with my family and things that I have done in my life. I, I put a fence up with my dad when I was a kid uh, with barbed wire. I, I remember yeah. I, I remember doing it with him. I remember him talking about digging the poles and they had to go down a certain way and how he lined them up and putting the level spirit on the, well, the spirit level, as you say in America, on the pole to make sure it was lined up. He, he actually was stretching an old fence, a mesh fence, and he tied it. He got a stick and he uh, or a, a really strong piece of wood and he tied it to the end of the fence and he then tied it onto the back of his uh, pickup truck and we pulled it and stretched it and then he went down the line where the posts were and we nailed it in t- into place. So there was that and then the irrigation challenge came from another job that I did with my dad when I was a kid because he's an agronomist, a plant scientist and he would put irrigation together and so I learned about that and the whole clips and how difficult that was. Um, but a, a huge number of the ideas also come from our challenge producer, Sydney Lair, who I've been working with for a long, long time, incredibly creative guy. And, you know, like I said last week, nothing is um, nothing is made alone. You've got to have a great mm-hmm. team. And we mm-hmm. we just yeah, I mean, to work in an environment where people are freely able to throw ideas in and um and, and, and you have that collaboration to try to get to the best place. So it's a very good feeling. But the, the goal is always, as I mentioned to you, is to take that spirit of competition that happens in real world job sites and bring it to the show. That being said, I would love to talk about that paired challenge, about the irrigation challenge. Uh, I didn't know if it's just like in your writer, Phil, that all uh, every show you're on has to involve pairs in some way, teams of two. But uh, this is a really interesting opportunity. So, like, was it always when you were coming up with the concept of the individual challenge that you thought there'd be a chance to have people 
you know, maybe this individual is more in quotations because it's pairs and especially it being pairs across teams? You know, that that was not the intent in the in the in the original format. That idea really came. Uh, it came along once once we realized some of the parameters of the actual challenge, the, the, the fact mm-hmm. that one person could not move those huge irrigation pipes by themselves. The fact that we had 10 people left at that particular point in the show. And then that we wanted to give an advantage to the winner of the previous individual challenge. So that was something that came in the development of the, of the challenges and the show ideas, but we liked it because um, it made a very clean, like last pairs going into overtime. It made it very clean yeah. and just mixed it up a wee bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think anytime you can, you can mix up the competition just to throw them off guard a little bit, makes it more interesting for the viewer. And it was so close. I mean, th- there were so th- that ending was so incredibly close with, with Callie and young seconds ahead of, of, of Lee and Michelle, again, wow. something we couldn't script, but it's just the way it all happened. You know, we surprised with uh, the way that Murph went about putting the teams together and not really trying to, uh, you know, sandbag any, you know, uh, one team and uh, trying to uh, create an advantage for himself. No, I, I think Murph, Murph represents a lot of things we would all like to be. He is a very principled man who, from the beginning, talked about wanting to compete against the best of the best and wanting to be to prove himself against the best. So I I don't think that that in this competition Murph will ever shy away from from wanting to go toe to toe with anybody because he, he just, he wants to be a competitor and he's just not that kind of guy. I mean, I think he's used to building strong teams in the military and he was like, no, let's, let's make a competition out of it. Now he also picked someone who was a very strong, like ensure that he could get through. But Mm -hmm. I feel like he really balanced up the teams pretty well. You know, uh, I I thought it was, I thought there were good picks. I thought he, I thought he, as he said, he, he, he wanted to make it a good competition. I thought he did. Was he required to pair people up from opposite teams or could he have put like two savage crew, two dirty hands? Yeah, he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, he could have picked somebody from his own team. Um, okay. Yeah, no, it was, we, we, yeah, no, it was totally up to him. Um, and I think it's just the way it worked out, but it sort of makes sense because theoretically the teams are meant to meant to be balanced. So it does make sense that there would be one from one team and one from another. And if you were looking at the balance of things. Yeah, and that worked out better, I think, or at least from a drama perspective, right? Cause you had people like Linda and Lewis had never worked together. Callie right. and young had never worked together. Whereas to your point, maybe if they were getting used to the rhythms of the people on their team, these are people that they just have like casual conversations with during downtime. Like I don't think Linda knew what she was getting into with Lewis, uh, for instance. Oh. And, and there, there, you know, there was just a class of personality there and, and a class, a clash of, of approach, right? Like just the way that their work ethic is. Linda reminds me of, of Sarah Connor, you know, from the Terminator. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like this badass, strong, crazy power to weight ratio, uh, you know, fighter. And, and, and Lewis is much more laid back and chilly and, you know, comes from the islands and I think he's got more, much more of a relaxed attitude. And I think it was just a, 
it was like water and oil with the two of them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she said he's not that tough. Yeah, that was a big call. I mean, you know, on a show called Tough as Nails, that is a big call, though. <laughs> yeah, I think that might just might have come from a level of frustration from from her point of view, and um, yeah, so she certainly spoke her mind. <laughs> In this episode, we also saw a uh, backstory about Tara, which, you know, we've gotten to see uh, a couple of these packages so far this season. Uh, last week, I believe we got to see uh, about uh, with Murph. We were talking with Jess last night that uh, she was wondering if maybe that uh, these are being put in there to sort of uh, subvert the expectations of the audience where the traditional reality mm-hmm. TV show trope is, okay, Oh, uh, we saw a backstory about Tara. She's probably going to go home in this episode. Was, was any part of that uh, put put in there to try to throw uh, people off from what they would normally expect on a reality TV show? No, honestly, we we haven't done we, we haven't really made any conscious effort to do that at all. I think that backstory with Tara you know, that, that was something, that's something that will continue as a story to, to evolve. Um, and hopefully you'll appreciate by the end of the series that we've done that with all the characters, you're going to see more and more of their backstories peppered through the series. And from the beginning, we made a, we we made a pact that we were not going to be the reality show that was about the competition as much as it was going to be the reality show that was about the people who are competing. Mm -hmm. And, our goal is that by the end of this season, if you don't love all of them, you love a lot of the cast. You really get them, you understand them, you see where they've come from. The fact that Tara has done what she has done in her life is pretty extraordinary. And again, that goes back to the mental strength that she has as a rodbuster getting into a, in, into a career that has very few women and how strong she's had to be to do that having come from the background that she's come from incredibly hard, but Tara represents so many Americans who have come through a a really challenging upbringing with parents, maybe that have been drug addicts and being a foster child. And she's, as she, as her grandmother says, she's that statistic. She's the good statistic Mm -hmm. that her grandmother talked about her being. And so we want to share that story uh, because life is complicated and, and, and a lot of people in this country uh, come through tough times. And we want to say, here, here's somebody like you. Uh, here's somebody like Michelle, who's older and underestimated all the time. And th- that's a key part of it. And, uh, you know, as we continue to chat and if you want me back on and later on, whenever, but I would love to show you maybe later on a board that we have, uh, which my wife and producing partner put together, which is our storyboard. Every episode, every single story point from every single episode, it's a massive wall of, of stories. Mm. Every conversation in the van, every conversation in, an, in every interview bite, everything charted out chronologically from beginning to end. And what we did was we went to the end and we worked backwards through all those stories back to to the beginning, back to the very first time you meet somebody like Tara. And we've built these story elements and these story blocks to Tara's story at the end. So back producing, as we call it. And that 
that's not something that you do on a show where you have 60, 70 competitors running through a course. This is a, this is, this is something that you do where it's much more of a docudrama kind of approach Mm. where you know that all those characters are going to be through the whole season. And if you want people to invest, you've got to tell a story and every character has a story arc. Every character has a midpoint in their story arc. And you take those 12 stories and you put them into a three act structure over 10 episodes. And hopefully by the end of it, you've, you've got to know this person like you would get to know someone over or, or, or in any relationship where you get to know and you dig in further and further and further. And, 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 and I mentioned this before, the great thing about the format of the show is we don't have to front load everything about that person. Exactly. Into episode one and two, you're going to learn more and more about them as they go. So, uh, something else just wanted to ask about is, uh, you know, obviously as the individual challenges progress there's gonna be more and more people sort of alongside you that have been eliminated from your own role as host what is it like to like have that peanut gallery you know are are you bouncing stuff off of them are they an audience are they participants yeah no i love it look i there was a early version of the format that i was working on where i was I, i think i mentioned to you that i was thinking about having like team leaders that wouldn't compete but that would yeah be with me mm-hmm. and, and 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 part of the reason for that was i i thought that it might be good to have someone to bounce uh off like with the commentary and to be able to bounce ideas off and then when we tested the show i mentioned to you we tested the show last year i didn't have that and i only had the other competitors as the peanut gallery and it worked so well mm-hmm. that i was like i just i would rather hear from the competitors about their other competitors than I would about someone who's not competing, who's who's now like, who's not act, actively involved in the show. That's there literally to to give me someone to bounce off. So yes, it 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 becomes as the series goes on and I get more and more people around me, it becomes more and more interesting. And um, as you can imagine, Lee becomes like a personal favorite because Lee's got a line for everything. Yeah. It's like, I mean, he would have me in stitches sometimes with some of the things he would say, like get some, get some popcorn, pull up a front seat. Let's get it on. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited for, for Lee's commentary. I think that's sort of, again, one of the, uh, the bright sides of not having Lee in the main competition is he's still sort of, we get the best of both worlds where he's still in the team competition and then he gets to spend an entire challenge, entire third of the show, just giving one liners from the sidelines. Oh my God. He, we had so much fun and, um, and look, that's the other part of this is that they're not actively involved in that individual competition, but they're still part of the show. It's not like we go, Oh, see you later guys. You know, mm-hmm. you're out, come back mm-hmm. later for the team. No, that you're still getting to know who Lee is and, and anybody else who's eliminated because they're hanging with me and we're having conversations. So th- their character development continues. It doesn't stop yeah. <laughs> just because they're out of the individual. Phil, will we continue to see more uh, challenges in the individual portion of the game where they're uh, paired off or I- into smaller groups or, uh, or or more couples as we get to the even numbers? That was an anomaly. That that particular yeah, yeah okay. that was an anomaly. That particular challenge, um, something we wanted to try. I mean, 
because it's season one, you're also trying, you're, you're trying things to see how people respond, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. don't want to, like we didn't want to do that maybe more than once because what happens if people didn't like it and then we've done it twice. And then, so we're kind of dabbling and developing when you're doing a season one as well. And then, like I said, because I really appreciate how in depth you guys are getting into the critiquing of the show. I, I I'm going to take all of that feedback. I'm reading people's comments about whether they, what they like and what they li- don't like. Believe me, it's, I, I, it, 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 it's, it's the smart move to be looking at what people say and collecting. Mm-hmm. And you can never, you can never please everybody, but you can at least kind of go, Oh, a lot of people are saying that they really like this, or a lot of people mm-hmm. don't like that. Let's take some notice of that and let's hit more of that. Let's take that out. You, you've, you've got to be, you, you really need to be listening to the audience. So that's why I appreciate mm-hmm. what, what you guys do because I'm listening. I'm going, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that we had a problem with those massive badges of honor. <laughs> we like them, and then we thought the cow one was really good. Yeah, there was though. a nice pop of green, like a nice pop of color, no blood visible. No so, blood like, that's time. better than the last one. You know yeah. what's um, what's interesting is uh, I read one comment last night where a guy said, "You know, I didn't get the whole punching in, but now I get it." And I think to our earlier conversation, it's like any show. If you isolate the moment of the handing out of the rose or the, mm-hmm. you know, the flame going out mm-hmm. or, you know, some of the things that you see on reality shows like that have become like the, that, that sort of pivotal moment. If you just isolated it before anybody knew what the show was, it just looks, it could look ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. will you accept this rose? I, I, you know, but without it, it wouldn't be the same show. Right. So we needed to find something that was a, where where everybody stopped and there was a ritual, there was a a ritual to a a punctuation to that. This thing was happening, that it was an official, you're punching out, your name's going up on the board. Um, And I know you guys were talking about at one point, you know, how, how rudimentary it all looked, you know, the board and the, the thing. I'm going to tell you that our budget, first of all, was probably one of the leanest budgets of any reality <laughs> show out there in the last few years. But that's not the reason that we did that. It was because we really wanted to stay away from flashy graphics and mm. we wanted to feel very tactile and very real, real world elements that work on the 44 gallon drum, the, the, the punch out card, which a lot of people, you know, that's a callback to the past, but mm-hmm. there's still places that do it. And, and that even if you look at all the graphic approach, like last night, if you saw the graphics that we did for the irrigation sections, those are real photos of real irrigation pipes to track. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I've tried to, we've tried to um, steer away from like graphic, a graphic-y look and more of an organic approach to mm. all the graphic elements that are there. There's a texture and a patina to the graphics, it's like actually a, a painted wall and then we use that texture and put it into the the name key so that it has it just feels like it's kind of real but it of course it's a, a computer generated real element if you like is the work whistle real the work whistle is wheel a uh, real wheel the work <laughs> whistle is wheel uh, <laughs> but i will t- i will tell you a little inside information um i had to wear earplugs to block out the sound because 
it was so loud the first time I set it off, I just about deafened myself. It was, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's like a proper work whistle that you, mm-hmm. that, that's meant to beam out across a town so people can see, hear it from 10 miles away. And I'm, I'm standing like two feet away. <laughs> about, what'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, so we, we've got to dampen the sound down next season so I can actually not damage my hearing. How does it work? It's, it's a horn? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's work, it works with compressed air. There's a, there's a company out of, uh, of Cincinnati, Ohio. They've been making these things for over 100 years. And in the coal mining town where my grandparents lived in Westport in New Zealand and all around the world, quite frankly, these horns have been used for, for a long, long time. Um, of course, in Fred Flintstone, they got you know mm-hmm. that, was, that were in there. But um, it's it's a very symbolic thing about the work whistle's going. You got to go to work, and so a lot of the vernacular in the show, like it's time to go to work, and then the horn goes, is is a callback to that was the signal to go to work. So I kind of went old school with a lot of that stuff, and the, and like with the time cards and the and. The, mm. Yeah, just to try to make it for those people who know, they know. And for those people who don't, maybe they'll get educated and look up this, you know, these Cincinnati workhorns and go, what? What are these things? But it's real. Mm. Yeah, it's and it's not cheap. That thing. I mean, we we spent a lot of money on that horn. I hope you like it. I, um, uh, <laughs> it's from Cincinnati. You should just ask Michelle to fly it over, put it in her carry on on the way to L.A. Uh, speaking of Michelle, one of the things that becomes very evident through the season is that there's nothing Michelle hasn't done and there's, and there's nothing that she or she doesn't know somebody who does it. And it becomes kind of a joke throughout the season because it's like, Michelle, you probably know somebody who's done this, right? She goes, well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's got somebody for everything. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah. Phil, is there anything you can tell us about next week's show? Uh, yes. Um, let me put my next week's show, uh, hat on because I'm doing, um, I'm coloring show 107 mm. today and mixing. Mm. Oh man. Uh, you, you mentioned sand to the players. It, it yes. looks like they're going to a construction site next week. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kidding you. I do remember, but I'm just telling you. So, um, next week, halfway point, midpoint, if you're looking at a, the, you know, three act structure of a movie and you're looking at that midpoint, uh, there's a turn next week and uh, there's some there's some challenges there's some issues with with the team dynamic um, that will become very evident very quickly uh, they're going to this incredible facility where there's a sand factory and this sand factory Gillibrand which is about 45 minutes north here in LA um they make sand that gets sold all over the world from the finest, finest sand that's used for mm-hmm. volleyball courts and sand that's used to make roads all the way through to pea gravel, which is, you know, it's kind of this big. I'm holding up my fingers. It's like uh, maybe a half an inch. And then to rock gravel, which is like maybe inch long pieces mm-hmm. of rock and everything in between different grades. And they've shot like some movies there, like futuristic movies, because this structure, this these sand machines, these gravel machines, are, are unbelievable, and um, so that's the setting for that. And then 
Um, the individual challenge is quite a physical one. Um, again, more, more surprises coming in the, in the individual challenge. And then the, the overtime, um, we, we take them down into a pit for the overtime. And that's also a very dramatic uh, finish. Um, surprisingly, it was surprisingly cold uh, mm-hmm. when we were shooting um, in, in L.A. So it's, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough in terms of the, of, of the teams being, having to be pretty rugged for the uh, environments. Phil, on the production schedule, is it, is it one day for the team competition and one day for the individual competition? Yeah, and and um, so it's two days a show, and then mm-hmm. the, then uh, obviously on the on the team competition day we get we also get extra time to be able to do more interviews mm-hmm. uh, with the teams, um, and yeah, it works out about right. Um, you know, any extra day, of course, it just increases the size of your budget, right? Um, and yeah, and that work whistle doesn't come cheap. Right. No, uh, and you know one of the things that um, you know credit to the to the challenge department. You know we were we were, when you're a brand new show and you call up and you say, hey, we've got these twelve people that want to come to your workplace and do your you know do the jobs that you do there. What's the show called? Oh, it's called Tough as Nails. What networks it on? No, it's on CBS. Well, I've never heard of it. Oh, that's because it's a new show. Well, now that the show's gone out. We've got people going, hey, why don't you come to our workplace? Yeah, that's nice. So yeah, that's good. The season one is always like, just to get out of the gate, it's so, mm-hmm. so hard. You've got so many things you've got to get right, and, and there's no second chances. So uh, it's a weird time right now, but you know, the ratings from last night came out, and the fact that we're holding the demo and that our audience went up slightly, which is good, I just really feel like this show just from reading everything that I'm reading, I really feel like this is one of these shows that is going to be a word of mouth show where people will start talking about it more and more, mm. uh, particularly because it's going to pay out as the series goes on. So that's exciting. And um, I know we, we did really well in Canada. We were a top 10 show for the week in, in Canada. I think Canadians re- really get wow. these kinds of people. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I'm very proud of that because I know what the budgets are of some shows that we're beating out. And um, we have a very small team. Yeah. I am so proud of what everybody has achieved on this with what we've had. And we, we've really played to the my favorite quote, which I think I shared with you. We didn't have money, so we had to think. We've really had to think to make this thing work. Um, and I've always believed that when the, the less you have, the more you have to think and the more you think, the more creative you have to get. And so what we have on air, I'm really, really proud of knowing again, knowing what some other budgets are for other shows. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if if you know this, Phil, because uh, I know that Big Brother, as of this morning, just released that a new season is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And I do know that it, it said in its schedule it would be airing on Wednesdays at 8. Do you know if Tough as Nails is going to shift times at all, or is it going to stick to Wednesdays at 8 for the foreseeable future? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I think the original intention was that we were going to slip to 9 when Big Brother came back on. Mm. Um but I don't know. I, I'm, um, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear. I mean, Big Brother have owned that eight o'clock time slot for, for a long, long time. Right. And so it, 
it probably makes sense that they put them back to eight where people know it. And, you know, we're a new show and hopefully people, you know, because we're a brand new show and new season, we're still trying to prove ourselves that people will make that shift and go to nine or, you know, they'll pick it up and record it and watch it, whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy that the show is, is working. And when I say working, you know, I, I judge working by the fact that we're getting that demo and that the audience is holding. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, our job is to, as, as producers and storytellers, our job is to make sure that when people come to the party, they don't leave because they're having a good time. The part of getting people to come to the party, the sending out of the invites and letting people know that this thing is happening, that's something that's out of our hands. It's out of our control. And um, and and I think right now, trying to get the invitations out and getting people to read them is challenging, not just for us, but if you look across the board at viewerships mm. in, across all television, it's difficult to kind of cut through and say, hey, there's this thing happening. But I really do believe like going way, way back with Amazing Race, where we were absolutely a word of mouth show where mm. people started talking about the show and then the audience built. I really believe our show is that show. I, I think um, the fact that so many people overseas are inquiring about the format, um, other countries, everywhere from Israel to Scandinavian countries that they've seen the format and they're like, wow, we want to do that there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that that's happening speaks to me that we have something. Mm. And if we get a shot at going to a season two, we've got to take everything we've learned and be better, which is like any show. And you've just got to be open to learning and listening and um, like anything in life, you know, you can always be better. You've got to strive to be better. Okay. Uh, Phil, anything else you want to tell us about episode number four? Uh no, um, no, I'm really, I, I, I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of ground and, um, uh, yeah, you got, you got any, uh, any advice that I take back to post-production about anything or anything? Uh, I'm trying to think any, any advice on, uh, criticism, to- uh, put, put some pillows around the work whistle next time, maybe just to, to soften it up a little bit or mute like a trumpet so it can do a little bit of wah-wah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I thought somebody could have ro- tried to ride the ball. Uh, mm. I thought that would have been that been a good uh, overtime. That would have been good overtime. Yeah. Actually, you're so right. <laughs> we yes, next time overtime, Michelle and Lee. I bet Melissa could have done it. And Melissa, it, it, yeah, we put him. We get him on the ball. Yeah, inside a barbed wire enclosure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great I think you use the irrigation to water the dirt around it so it gets nice and muddy as well. Really yeah. combine all elements of the challenge. You know, waste not, want not, as you pointed out before. Yeah, waste not, want not. And we put the irrigation at the top of the hill so the water runs down. So there's Ooh. like a flood. <laughs> there's a flood going on. And then the irrigation continues to sprinkle. So it's like it's raining, simulated rain, a flash flood, barbed wire enclosure, two people on a bull, uh, and whoever can stay on the longest stays in the show, stays in the individual competition. I like it. Yeah, it's a great, really great suggestion, Rob. Thank yeah. you. 
<laughs> Phil, also that uh, I know you were a fan of the barbed wire. Mike is going to be getting his first tattoo very soon. <laughs> do you do you think that barbed wire could be a good way for Mike to go for that first tattoo? To yeah. show I am the bull that needs to be corralled. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe you could you could put you know yeah they have the barbed wire that goes around people's bicep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what that's where I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna be getting it. So it might be might be advantageous. Well, you know, I've I've always felt a little threatened by the, the sheer size of you. Um, I, I don't know if it's... I, don't I think it's just the way I present on screen. I'm very close yeah, to the frame. Very I'm not sure close if to the it, camera. It's just amplified, but you are looking incredibly... You look enormous. Um, you look... You, you look... Yes. Very strong. Huge. You're I'm flexing for Phil Kogan right now, just so I can have that on record. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, listen, before I leave, do you mind... Um, Playing me out with a little spectacle. Yes, okay. <laughs> I just uh, the great uh, the host of Tough as Nails, uh, <laughs> the great Phil Kogan. Phil, thank you again. Thanks, Bye. Phil. All right, uh, there you have it, Phil Kogan. Wow, this is uh, this podcast is the exact opposite of Tough as Nails in that we keep losing people and they don't stay on. It's just the two of us now, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yes, now it's down to now it's down to just us, uh, Mike. So uh, we're recording this podcast now Thursday morning after catching up with Phil, but uh, it was a busy news day. Uh, mm-hmm. they dropped a big article about uh, what's coming up with a Big Brother. 20 is it big brother 22 big brother 22 yeah 22 it's the 20th anniversary but it's 22 seasons i mean to quote uh the cbs reality show that we have not discussed in this episode yet it's real it's happening big brother all-stars parentheses two but big brother all-stars the second edition is officially happening Mm -hmm. august Yeah, are they just calling it big brother all-stars yeah this is this is not too unfamiliar this actually happened with the amazing race i don't know if you remember uh but the amazing race 24 which was one of the seasons you and jess covered use the regular you know uh just called it amazing race all-stars even though season 11 was also called so you're saying that survivor could do another season and call it survivor all-stars and then i will call this is survivor all-stars erasure and then i'll say oh actually no that's not that bad of a thing yeah exactly listen i I think that i think that the show maybe wishes that they could have better two word titles uh than just repeat (laughs) all-stars again rather than having to substitute other terms you could also use like sort of a star trek in like prime universe mirror universe thing of like all-stars prime and all-stars you know secondary okay but yeah it's it's happening august 5th all right, August 5th. Uh, this is uh, very exciting. So, uh, yeah, Mike has a great article up. If you go to parade.com or follow a real Mike Bloom type, uh, or sorry, a Mike Bloom A real or, Mike Bloom type. <laughs> Ooh. Is that your secret, like, sub shade of at, like, writing my Twitter handle? <laughs> yeah, that's that's my uh, fake Mike Bloom burner account, a real Mike Bloom. Yeah, or you could follow actual Mike Bloom. He's uh, a, a Mike Bloom type. Uh, Mike, we're gonna do a podcast uh, later on today. That's gonna be a uh, rumor mill roundup for Big Brother uh, Twenty Two. Uh, we're gonna talk with uh, Taryn Armstrong and Sharon Tharp, who's been writing a uh, bunch of articles mm-hmm. throughout, all throughout the rumor mill season for Us Weekly. Yeah. 
yeah, Taryn and Sharon, it makes so much sense. I actually love mm-hmm. Sharon. I got to meet her. I know she's a long time listener. I got to meet her when we did a Top Chef event together in New York. But yeah, suffice it to say, even though the announcement has become official, uh, thing, there's been a lot. The talk of the town, in a manner of speaking, has been this for quite some time. So there is a lot to be had between various sources claiming who's been there. It seems like, you know, we don't have to wait long for an actual cast. I believe it was just announced via the live feeds that there's going to be interviews going on the 29th and the reveal might even be earlier than that. But I am still in disbelief that even just looking outside of this, Rob, in this year, we had three major reality franchises do all-star seasons. And that is truly ridiculous, especially something like Big Brother All-Stars, which even though we've had returning players out the wazoo, has not done an actual all-star season for nearly 15 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is uh, wild times, wild times 2020. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what's going on with Big Brother as we uh, get closer to uh, finding out who are going to be the Big Brother All-Stars. So check that out. Mike, what else do you have going on in the podcast world? Uh, So another thing I actually did on Parade this week is I got to speak with Jatia Hart, who you actually had the pleasure of speaking with as well, about uh, the Soul Survivors organization, which, again, while Survivor might not be necessarily on the horizon, uh, there's certainly a lot of very necessary and great discourse about Survivor going on via TSSO and all the events that you had. I know you just recently had uh, a panel about LGBTQ plus representation in Survivor. That was really great. So essentially, I spoke with Jatia. She shed a little bit more light on the origins of the organization, what their purpose is with the recent petition that I think has reached like nearly 7,000 signatures or so, what the next steps are. So I highly encourage Survivor fans to check that out. Uh, Outside of that, Top Chef, we are going beyond Top Chef once more. This week, we're covering the Netflix documentary series Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is a nice, like, travel food documentary that I've been, I'm in the middle of and I really enjoyed. Uh, and then over on Post Show... Are going to come up with an acronym for Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat? FA or FAS, if you want what to, like, range them. Fat, Acid, Salt, Heat. FASH. FASH. Uh, I mean, it's based on a book. I don't know if maybe they change it. There's, like, a, a Justin Timberlake from the Social Network type guy that's, like, change it around a little bit. It's going to read better that way. But no, it does not mm. sound like some sort of comic book I don't know, criminal syndicate like fash. Uh, it's it's salt fat yeah. acid heat, but it, I encourage if people want to follow along with us, check that maybe out. Fash isn't a good way to go. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in this day and age, fash should not be a salt good way to go. Salt fat acid heat. Uh, Are you trying to come right, up with the acronyms right now? Yeah. Halves. Halves. Like there's, yeah, yeah I, that could, that might be a good one. Uh, it could be, you could do FOSS, F A H S. That sounds, you know, I don't know, Nordic or something. Pause. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but outside of rearranging four letters, uh, a la an SNL skit from back in the day, uh, Josh Wiggler and I on Down the Hatch finally got into season three of Lost. We talked about the season three premiere, which, spoiler alert, I think he and I liked more than maybe the a good majority of our listeners. Uh, so we get into all things Juliet Burke. Ben Linus is finally revealed for the man he is, and I'm so excited to get into season three of Lost. So we've got all that going on, and if you want any other random updates, follow uh, at a real Mike Bloom type for any sort of other miscellaneous no, things. No. A Mike Bloom type. Don't confuse people. Uh, there you go. All right. Um, Mike, 
Great work, as per usual. Uh, I've got the uh, Big Brother Rumor Roundup uh, podcast coming up. Got another Talking with T-Bird that is uh, in the can that we're going to drop on you uh, very soon. Uh, And much more, uh, of course, all this podcasting uh, made possible by the patrons of Rob Has a Podcast. You can find out more about everything we're doing in our patron community at robhaswebsite.com slash patron. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. All right, you've already heard the news, but let me be the one telling you the news. Let's pretend that I'm the one giving it to you for the first time. Sports are coming back, and there's nothing you can do about it at this point. So your chance to bet on sports now with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. And joining me now is Dave Mason, who's going to be sharing some of the updates of what's coming next to Bet Online. What's happening there, Dave? Uh, lots finally. <laughs> it's oh, been an interesting goodness. few months. You know, I was, I was, I was promoting ping, Russian ping pong and marble races and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But now we're back to some sports I'm somewhat familiar with. So I'm, I'm pretty happy, but getting really busy too. I hear you, man. I mean, it's a, the, the summer's been consumed. Who knew so many people would love golf? But of course, when you, when you can uh, lay down a little bit of loot on it, it makes everything a little more fun. And now, just out on the horizon. If you, you don't even have to squint too hard because they're right there for you. MLB, NBA, and the puck is going to drop. I think, in particular for me, the hockey fan, I can't wait for early August to get here with, uh, with 10 straight days of never fewer than, than four or five games, right? So, yeah, and, and you guys are ready to take action on all those. Yep, and we have the odds ready to rock. MLB comes first. Um, and, and we have our odds. We have great timelines in those. All the futures are up. The World Series, everything, we're ready to go. Of course, you had to tweak some rules here and there with a 60-game season. You know, we had a, no action all the season win totals and put up new season win totals. And then um, there's been a little bit of a cat-and-mouse game, very hectic. Going to slow times, even though it was slow and they're running sports, we're adjusting on the fly on stuff like that. Then the following week, the NBA starts with that eight-game regular season. We have season win. And once again, we had a no action all the season win totals because they didn't play the complete season. But we opened the eight-game season win totals for the many the many season coming up and all the playoff odds, et cetera. Then, yep, reduced juice NHL is back after that. So, And then we get into the NFL discussion, right? Oh, now now we're really talking. It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. You know, we I think back like every November, there's that one or two days when all four sports are are in um in session together, and and what is the sports equinox? Now we're gonna have a two month long sports equinox, and it's gonna be insane. So the guys the guys are rested up and they're ready to rock. So I can't wait. Move over March Madness. Here comes August Augustness. I don't know. Work on that. You can. <laughs> we let's, let, let's workshop that a little yes, bit. Sir. But man, August figures to be just divine. And like you say, pro football on the other side of uh, summertime kicking off. And it, it really looks like everything's tracking in the right direction there for us to get uh, our most beloved of, of all sports. It must be tough to divine. I mean, tougher. Obviously, we got a good look at um, which teams were relevant in terms of chasing the title in the NBA. Same goes for the NHL and the lag and how that might impact the players. Notwithstanding, I assume that um, that that setting the lines, the futures for Major League Baseball here has been especially tough with a 60 game slate coming up. Right. 
No, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're in kind of uncharted uh, grounds of territory. And, you know, you, you're not just paying attention to injury news now. You're paying attention to the COVID news, too. You know, Zion Williamson leaves, leaves the camp now. Who knows what's going on there? I hope everything's all right. But, I'm again, I'm just talking from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to come back. Who knows how long he's going to be gone. When he comes back, he's going to have to quarantine. Is that going to – is he going to miss games because of that? And is that going to affect – you know, with that, that news came out. We started getting hit by some, um, some, some bets on the other side. So it, it's just, you know, crazy, all these situations that are just so unique to all of us in the business. Um, you know, I mentioned all the no action and season win totals and then putting up – uh, amended season win totals for an eight game season for God's sakes. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting few months, but we're just so happy. The games are back. We know there's going to be some unique situations where, you know, we're going to get hit and, uh, you know, the injury reports are going to be different than they used to be. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it will adapt. Betters will adapt. And, and as long as the games are on TV tonight, that's all we care about. We'll yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's not being cavalier. Obviously, everybody's uh, everybody's aware of how bizarre the the twenty twenty year has been on so many fronts. And I wonder though if there's a, some uh, smart angle of looking at guys in Major League Baseball specifically who have a knack of coming. You know, guys who who light it up in in uh, early season. Uh, perennially guys who whose bats are right. hot in in you know April and May and then they tend to cool off in the second half if um, focusing on uh, if if um, a, a team has a preponderance of those guys who fit that description if, if they're suddenly become a, a, a nice little sleeper play for you there that, those are oh. the kind of unique things that you can look for right. here in 20- absolutely especially you know and, and stuff like props too you know yeah. Season leader for home runs, uh, stuff like that. Well, you you know, how does, you know, you're throwing out a guy who, who starts slow and has a great summer. Well, that great summer, that's the start of the season now. Guys, you know, we all have those guys who, who don't hit well during the cold months. And then when the summer heat, man, they, they're, they're, they're lightning in a bottle. So you're going to have to adjust odds accordingly. Okay. That, that player's going to be meat and potatoes for two or two and a half months. And uh, right go from there so absolutely there's all sorts of angles and our guys are trying to keep up with it we have some very sharp betters here at bet online and they're all over it too well believe me i'm looking at uh the nfl futures as we speak and uh uh given more time i would go over all 32 with you give you my uh, my uh, bets on all of those but let's save that for another day you know we don't have to cover it all right now dave let's uh, let's kick it down the road before things kick off and review all of those and uh, and maybe we can uh, offer up some the, uh, dave damashek's best bets and then the listener the savvy listener will promptly go against all of those and win a lot of money um with 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 bet online ag but in the meantime thanks for the for the time dave absolutely thanks for having me all right much obliged again to dave mason uh be sure you visit betonline.ag and don't forget that promo code podcast one for your sign up bonus bet online your online sports book experts